I was 24 years old, living in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and I said a real simple prayer. Lord, show me somebody I can help. And as best I could, I opened my eyes to see what God might reveal to me. A couple weeks later, I was in the Wendy's restaurant after a day of work eating a meal, and in walked a guy. He was five foot five, bald, unshaven, filthy, with a big old belly. And he came in with enthusiasm. He went up to the person at the register and said, you know, if I win the lottery, I'm going to give you $1 million. Would you like that? person at the register kind of taken aback. And I got to know this guy, Bobby. So uh, he realized that that person behind the register wasn't happy. He liked to make people happy. And so he said, you know, if I win the lottery, I'm not going to give you $1 million. I'm going to give you $5 million. Would you like that? person at the register realized he was looking for a smile. She flashed him a quick smile, and then whenever Bobby thought he made somebody happy, he'd always grab his hands like this, pull it up to his shoulder, kind of lift his head up like this, and smile like this. Yeah, it's kind of different, isn't it? Yeah, okay. Well, he did that and ordered up his food and was gobbled it up in no time flat, walked out of the restaurant. About a minute later, I finish up my food. I walk out of the restaurant, and there was Bobby. And he asked me a question back in the day of pay phones. He said, do you have a quarter? I said, you know, I can do better than that. Let's meet back here tomorrow night, 6 o'clock, I'll buy you dinner. We went our separate ways. I came back that next night, 6 o'clock, thinking there's no way he's going to show up. But sure enough, Bobby was there. We ordered up our food. And if I were to go back to Fort Lauderdale, Florida today, I believe I could show you the table we were sitting at. I mean, the sun was shining through. It was 75 degrees. God was speaking. And he was speaking loud and clear to me. He was saying, Rob, this is your somebody. So as we were talking and getting to know each other, I made a commitment in my mind. I was going to see Bobby at least once a week. So I would go to the place that didn't take very good care of him, and I'd pick Bobby up, and we'd go get a bite to eat, and then sometimes we'd play basketball, checkers. I lived at a place that had a pool. We'd do some swimming. But by far what Bobby loved to do the most is we'd drive down the Atlantic Strip. You got the Atlantic Ocean to your right. Again, it's 75 degrees. <laughs> Sorry. And, and then you got shops to the left, one of those being the ice cream shop. And we'd always pull off into the, by the ice cream shop there. We'd pick up our ice cream cones, and then we'd have to race across the street for a million dollars. Ice cream cones in hand. The race begins. We get about halfway across the street. We're trying to get our way to the boardwalk. That's the finish line. Halfway across, Bobby slows down. I know he wants me to win. So I take the lead. I cross over from the street to the boardwalk. Bobby comes trailing behind. He says, you win a million dollars. I smile. He does this. And life is going well. Well, it doesn't take long. I'm a multi, multi-millionaire. million set for life. So I decide this one evening, you know what? Bobby needs to win a million. And so we've got our ice cream cones in hand. We're going to race across that street. We get about halfway across the street. Bobby slows down, but this time I slow down with him. We get three quarters of the way across the street. Bobby slows down again. I slow down. We are now going slower than slow motion. Cars are coming. We get just to where the street turns into the boardwalk. 
I lift up my foot as if to step over the line, waiting for Bobby to lift up his. He lifts up his. I pull mine back. His foot is now up in the air. Boom, gravity taken over. He steps down over to the finish line. I said, Bobby, you win a million dollars. And he looked at me and he said, and I'm going to give it to you. (laughs) And there I was stuck with another million. Well, we'd walk uh, across the boardwalk, down some stairs, and we'd gobble up our ice cream cones in no time flat and sing songs out to the Atlantic Ocean. One of the songs that I've sung to my children when they were younger was a song that Bobby taught to me. Yeah, I reached out and cared for somebody, but I had no idea just how much this somebody would give back to me. You see, Bobby taught me about God. Bobby made me laugh. Bobby provided a joy deep in my heart that the things of this world simply cannot provide. Lord, show me somebody I can help. I want to talk about one thing I like about that prayer. I want to then later on add something to that prayer, and I'm thinking about that right now. I didn't do that in the first service, so we might talk about adding something to that prayer. But here are the three main points. Focus on somebody, and relationship abounds, justice prevails, and the church is healed. Lord, show me somebody I can help. I like the word somebody because somebody refers to a person and ministry is about loving people. One of the problems we have in America with institutional care is that it's very easy for someone to get lost in the system and simply become a number. You got financial problems, you come over here to the county. You uh, You don't have enough food on the table, come on over here to the food shelf. You need a job, we got a job counselor over here for you. And as a person navigates these separate bureaucratic systems, anonymity can set in, and there is no relationship. I like what Christine Pohl in her book, Recovering Hospitality, says about this. She deals with the tension between providing good care and relationships. She says this, Total rejection of institutional measures is both naive and risky. The task is to find practices that join personal relations with predictable care. This has been an ongoing struggle throughout the history of care for those in need. Now, the work that I do with refugees, with churches across the Twin Cities, that's what we try to do. We help refugees navigate the system so that the system does what it's supposed to, help people in a time of need get on their feet. And that happens within the context of those refugee families having relationships with people in churches. We're combining both. Well, let me continue with that quote. It says, Returning the care of strangers to individual kindness alone is not an option. But without personal involvement, strangers remain detached and vulnerable. Without relationship, the stranger, the mistreated, the suffering, the hopeless the somebodies of this world remain vulnerable. And it is the relationship component. When we look at holistic ministry, it is the relational component that is the most challenging, the most demanding. And so what I want to do now is take you through a ministry model where we'll talk about what that looks like in the life of Jesus, what that looks like for the life of ECC, and what what it can look like for your life is you think about ways that uh, you believe God wants to use you. So here's the model. I'm just going to focus there on human needs, relationship, and gospel proclamation. And let's first look at the life of Jesus. Did he 
meet human need? Well, you bet he did. He fed the 5,000, and he came to people right here on earth when he was here, and he met needs by healing others. So he met human need. Was he relational? Jesus spoke to the masses. Jesus had those one-time interactions with people, and he calls you and I to do that, for the scripture says, make the most of every opportunity. So it is true that there are times when you have this one-time moment with people where you give them a word or you meet a need and you're planting a seed, you're watering that seed so that God Almighty can make it grow. So we're looking for those one-time opportunities. And Jesus certainly did that. However, he dug deeper than that. And you see that by the way he invested in the lives of his disciples. He spent a lot of time and a lot of energy on his 12 disciples and even more with three of them. Jesus Christ was relational. Did he provide gospel proclamation? Well, of course he did. I love that verse that says to you and I, how will they know if we do not tell them? Jesus himself in Matthew 28 says, go and make disciples of all nations. Go and tell people about me. By your actions, may they ask you about your faith. May you at times just simply boldly proclaim it. And may we always do it with gentleness, respect, and a clear conscience. Jesus did all of that. And the scripture says we are called to follow in his footsteps. So we see it in the life of Jesus. Now let's look at ECC. This was fun. I got to have a conversation with Tim Anderson. He works as the part-time youth pastor here at this church. I don't know how he does it all. And then in addition to that... He leads an ace, the ACE ministry that we partner with uh, here at ECC. I asked him in one sentence to explain his ministry. He said this, building community through relationships with kids in South Minneapolis. We have a hoops program. He has a hoops program there, a reading program, and after school program. So does ACE meet human need? Well, when kids come to these Programs, first of all, they have a safe place. That's a human need. Uh, we off, often, through these programs, they're providing meals, and those meals often come from people like you right here at ECC. Uh, my wife mentioned that gifts were given to the kids, and that's, I think that's a human need, too, because we are called to have a good time. And so these kids were getting gifts that they wanted. How did they know what they wanted? Well, it moves us right to the second one, Relationships. And that ACE ministry that we partner with is about relationships. Sometimes I like to just name names. Tim Anderson in the trenches, getting to know kids, leading Bible studies and programs. Christina Freeman, right over here to my right. My right. Yeah, my right. Uh, She's running a reading program. She's there every week along with other volunteers. Ashley Hyatt lives in the city, serves weekly, interacting with kids. Just recently, they got a $15,000 donation. They're going to be purchasing their third home because their message in South Minneapolis is, we want to be here with you. That's relationship. Do they proclaim the gospel? I know from my experience there, we provided a meal. Our small group provided a meal during the hoops, uh, Saturday night hoops time. And so we got to know the boys there a little bit, but there were others there every week. And then before they played basketball, there was Tim Anderson sharing from God's word. And in all of these programs, at some point, kids hear that I can get into a Bible study where I can learn more about God. And they run a Bible study for kids, uh, both the, the boys and the girls, 
And so there is gospel proclamation. You know, I think Pastor Chris helps us with this. He's very focused, and he's chosen ministries where these things are happening. The second one I want to mention, I'll try to be a little bit quicker, Emmanuel Children's Home. We go there three times a year, kids that are in need. Do we meet human need through that? I just want to say it this way. Last year, $19,000, when you add up sponsorship and what we've given through our, our uh, church money, $19,000 was given last year, and that is meeting human need. Do we have relationship? Yes, we do. Folks from ECC, uh, at least three times a year, trips are being made there. Oftentimes, loaded with folks from ECC. Some people there six, seven, eight times, and the kids run up to them and call folks from ECC by name. That is relationship. Uh, our pastor serves on the board, so we're investing in the leadership in that Emmanuel Children's Home in Juarez. Uh, in addition to that, one time when we came, uh, our church came back from a mission trip there, the leader at the home texted Tim Anderson and said this, you guys have been the biggest blessing our ministry has ever had. Relationship is taking place. And then, of course, when we're there, we're worshiping with the kids and the leaders there. We're sharing from God's word we are proclaiming the gospel. You know, as you look at that model, if it's just one, it's just not very effective. I'm not saying there aren't times when God might call us to do that. I already touched on that, but think about this. Hey, let me tell you about Jesus. All right, I finished. Great to see you. God bless you. I mean, that's just not very effective. But think also about human needs. If all we do is go and meet the needs of people, my friends, we are a social service agency, and may the church never, ever be that. Listen to what John B. Hayes says in his book, Submerge. This is the challenge. This is the relationship. Things don't change people. People change people. It's people in relationship with people that change people. Lord, show me somebody I can help. And when you focus on somebody, relationship will abound. And now I want to talk about how justice uh, will prevail. A guy by the name of Shane Claiborne was speaking at Princeton University. He finished his message and then fielded a few questions. And one of the questions was this from a student. What social justice issue is most important? And I like Shane Claiborne's response. He says, don't choose issues. Choose people and the issues will come. Focus on somebody. Get to know somebody, and the justice issues will come. First, what I want to do is talk about what keeps us from focusing on somebody, because we don't have as many justice opportunities if we're not focusing on somebody. So what, what keeps us from focusing on somebody? I'll give you three. There are more, but I'll give you three. One is we build a wall of protection around ourselves that keeps us from getting to know people. Hebrews says this, remember those who are mistreated as if you yourself were suffering. So God's saying to you and I, through his word, put your feet in the shoes of someone else. Imagine their life being your life. There's, you can't really do that for those that are suffering and being mistreated unless you actually know them. So you have to make sure that you've 
Organize your life in such a way that it's open and you're available for people that are suffering. And then when you get to know them and you hear their story, now you can imagine your life being their life. Why does God want you to do that? Because as it says in Hebrews, it will spur you on toward love and good deeds. Get to know them. Imagine your life being their life and you will act. Number two, what keeps us from justice or be focusing on somebody? We don't see people the way that Jesus sees people. Jesus is at the height of popularity. He's coming into a town called Jericho. Folks are lining the streets. He could spend time with anybody that he wants. If there was a mayor in Jericho, the mayor would have sat down and had a meal with Jesus. But as he comes into this town, he sees a guy up in a sycamore tree, Zacchaeus, the despised, hated tax collector, quite frankly, for good reason. He's collecting people's taxes and then lining his own pockets. Everybody knows it. They do not like him. And Jesus comes into this town at the height of popularity and says, I want to spend time with you. Here's why. Jesus knew he came with a message for anybody, anywhere, anytime, in any situation that can completely turn their life around. You see, he looked at people with compassion. Jesus could have looked and said to Zacchaeus, Hey, buddy, you're the one cheating everybody out. You're bad. Live in your own muck. No, Jesus said, I'll, I'll pick you. I'll spend time with you. And then Zacchaeus responded. He gives all sorts of money away. And what happens? God Almighty is glorified. That's how we look at people. We look at them knowing that God can turn their life around. We look at them with compassion and mercy, for we have received so much mercy. And then we act, and God is glorified. Listen to the scripture. Luke 6, 36. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Number three, what keeps us from getting to know people and justice. We confuse and justify. We can confuse and justify an expert in the law came up to Jesus and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, well, what's written in the law? How do you read it? The man says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says to this guy, ding, ding, ding. Well, he didn't say that. He said, you answered correctly. Ding, ding, ding. You got it. That's right. It's that simple. Love God, love others. But the scripture goes on to say, this guy wanted to justify himself. He wanted to somehow make himself feel okay for not loving his neighbor. And one of the ways you can do that is ask questions. I mean, if you ask enough questions, if you look at things from enough angles, we can confuse and justify just about anything. And so what does this expert in the law do? He says to Jesus, what, or who is my neighbor? That's what he asked him. Who is my neighbor? Hmm. Jesus keeps it simple. You know the story, the parable. Guy beaten on the side of the road. Along comes the Levite, the guy that knows the scriptures. He comes walking by. He looks at this guy beaten on the side of the road. Maybe he asks enough questions, look at things from enough angles. Somehow he's able to justify walking right on by. Then along comes the priest. Another guy knows the scriptures. Walks right on by. 
And then you have the Samaritan, the one that those other guys wouldn't like. Think if that parable were to be said, would be said today, who that might be. I'm not going to go there, but that's an interesting thought. So we, here comes the Samaritan. He sees the need, and he responds. And Jesus says, well, who, who was the one that loved his neighbor? And this expert Allah said, well, the one who acted. This is my paraphrase, but these words are exactly Jesus' Jesus's words because he says, now go and do likewise. Go and reach out to those in need, and you will live a life that is thrilling, exciting, and challenging, and you will find yourself in the midst of justice issues. They will come when you focus on somebody. The best way for me to explain this is through refugee ministry that I'm involved with. Uh, Refugees have fled war persecution. They spend, on average, about 15 years living on refugee camps. They don't have uh, appropriate housing. They don't have health care. Very little, usually no education at all at those refugee camps. You're just kind of sitting around. You don't have enough food. And there they sit, most of them 15 years. A very small percentage of them, less than 1%, make it to a welcoming country like America. And so when they come to America and we have put together a small group or a team from a church to come alongside them. And this church team or this small group is there at the airport saying, welcome, we're so glad that you're here. And then they take them to the apartment that they have fully furnished with food in the cupboard and food in the refrigerator. Now they have enough food and a little justice rolls on like a river. And then when this church gets the kids into school, gets the parents into ELL classes, now they're receiving an education and a little more justice rolls on like a river. And then when they help them navigate this culture that is so different and they come around them and help them to find work, these parents who were standing in line for two hours at a refugee camp waiting for a bag of rice, that is humiliating. Now they are here, they got a job, they're putting food on the table. That is dignity and a little justice rolls on like a river. But it doesn't stop there. You see, as you focus on people, other things come up as you really get to know them. We've stood side by side with volunteers in court, refugees that have been falsely accused. Justice rolls on. We've had uh, churches that see the living conditions and advocate for refugees or housing problems, and they're out there advocating for refugees, and more justice rolls on like a river. One person One volunteer found out a refugee wasn't being paid appropriately in her job. She not only made sure that refugee got paid appropriately, but then shut down a guy that was abusing the system. And a little more justice rolls on like a river. But make no mistake about it. The waves of injustice will continue to roll on around this broken world. But as we focus on people and the injustices come, we know that the book of Psalms goes on to say, Those injustices will not prevail. Why? Because he who is in you is greater than he that is in the world. Lord, show me somebody I can help. And when you focus on somebody, justice prevails. Relationships abounds. And now I want to talk about how the church is healed. And I'm going to remember, at least during the second service, to add to that prayer. Lord, show me somebody I can help so that I, a wretched pathetic sinner can be helped. You see, we are desperate for people in need. Our church is desperate. We ourselves are desperate 
for people in our lives that are in need. Listen to the scripture, Isaiah 58, 6 through 8. Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke? To set the oppressed free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe him and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Don't turn away from people and listen to the promise. The promise is your light will break forth like the dawn. As we move outside of these walls to care for others, we will shine the light of Christ. We will be the city on the hill that cannot be hidden. The promises don't stop there when you focus on people, when you don't turn away from your own flesh and blood. It says, and your healing will quickly appear. You will be healed. We will be healed. About three months ago, I was sitting over here, second row, singing a song, second song into worship, enjoying my time with the Lord. But my then 13-year-old boy leans over to me and he says, you know, if you want, Dad, you can sing in your mind. (laughs) Just let that sink in if you haven't caught that yet. And you can see what that would do to worship. I mean, it's gone. So I have to give my son credit. He's funny. And he's probably right. I should watch my volume. That being said, it's not going to stop me from singing a solo today. It's going to be electrifying. When I am done, you're going to clap. If you have a good woohoo, you'll do that as well. Don't get caught up in the emotion of this moment because I do want you to listen to the words. So here's the solo, a cappella style. <laughs> On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Big finish here now. All other ground is sinking sand. Thank you. Thank you, ECC. Yes, thank you back there. Thank you, St. Paul. Excellent. Good. I know I'm a dork. Okay. Great song. It, it does speak to very important truth. Jesus Christ is our foundation. Without the work of Jesus Christ, there would be no forgiveness of sins. Without the work of Christ, there would be no opportunity to be in a right relationship with God. We would not taste the kingdom of God here, and we would not know it in its fullness when we are with him in glory Jesus Christ is our solid rock. That being said, if that song came from Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 through 27, or it's also in Luke 6, it was a misinterpretation of the scripture. The scripture here, it's true, but it misreads it. The scripture here is trying to speak to a different truth. Now, I'm going to paraphrase it for you. Two homes. One home is built upon the sand. One home built upon the rock. Scripture says the rains come down, the streams rise, the winds beat against those homes. They're both representing people, and we know what happens over here. The house goes tumbling down. But the house over here on the rock remains standing, which begs the question, what is the rock? It's not Jesus here. It says in the Scripture... Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house upon the rock. You see, they both heard the word. 
but it is one who built this house upon the rock that heard the word and acted. That's what the rock is. Hearing the word and actually moving out and living it out. You know, if we focus on somebody and you get to know them and you share their li- your life with them, they'll share their life right back with you. And then over time, as that relationship develops, at some point, you might find them asking you to enter into the challenging fire of issues. And then when you go there and you walk alongside them, you find out that you serve a God who delivers. And I'm not talking once in a while. I'm talking time and time again. Now, why is that so important for you? Because when you're obedient to God's word and you do that, and then you see what God does, something happens to you. You see, your faith is strengthened. So that when the rains of difficulties come down in your life, and oh, we know they're coming. When the rains of difficulty come down in this church, when the streams of troubles rise up in our life or in our church, or when the challenging winds come crashing in in our life, or in our church, we know God's power, God's peace, God's purpose, God's provision is always enough. You see, you and I, as we reach out to others, we're healed from a life of doubt and worry. We are healed from selfish living. We are healed from incomplete, ineffective, and immature living. As we open our lives up to God, we allow his power to come into us, and we go to work for him, we will escape the corruption in this world caused by evil desires. We are healed from the evil, if we're honest with ourselves, and the sin that we are so capable of. And his love will permeate our community, our church, and our homes. Now, I want to give you an opportunity to respond here today. So I want you to take out this insert. It says up on the top, ways to serve somebody through ministry partners. I just want you to have it out. uh, And you're going to have some time as we do the offering to look through this and consider filling it out. Let me say a couple things about it. First of all, checking off a line doesn't mean that you're going to do it. It's just a small step that says, I'm open to a phone call to find out more about how I could actually do something That's on this list. We've got baskets right here. So during the offering, you can come up and place these right here in the baskets. And then you'll you'll get a phone call, most likely, I would guess, from Tim Anderson or one of the volunteers at these different ministries that we partner with. And we'll see where God takes it from there. Now, I also want to tell you this. Some of you shouldn't hand anything in here. Okay? We cannot be driven by needs and tasks. In this broken world, the needs are always too great and the tasks too many. We must be driven by calling. So you fill it out if you feel led to. If you're thinking maybe, I say fill it out. If you're thinking maybe I'd like to do something, fill it out because that's just simply a small step. And then you see it. You might get a phone call and then go no. But take that small step if you're feeling like it's a possibility. So that's a way that you can respond and get involved in the ministries that are happening right here at ECC. Let me end with this very challenging word from a woman named Magda Trankney, who saved hundreds of Jews in France during the Holocaust. She says this, There are only people who accept responsibility 
and those who do not. For her, as for them, a person either opens the door or closes it in the face of a victim. Wow. Now, when I was in that first service, all of a sudden, God placed something on my mind that says, some of you need to hear something else today. You need to hear that you're not looking for somebody. You are the somebody. Because you're the one that's hurting. You're the one that's suffering. And I want to tell you, humble yourself and tell somebody around here. Because if you tell somebody, do you know that you're giving them a gift? You're giving them a gift by saying, will you walk alongside me? We're all that somebody sometimes. My wife and I received two $1,000 checks anonymously with a bag of groceries and a verse. I've been that somebody at times in my life. So if that's you, fill something out. Don't, don't they have a card or something they can fill out? A connection card. There you go. Fill that out. Let me end. Finally, let me end. And I think this is the second time I said that, but this is really going to be quick because I just want to review the points that are promises from God's word. Focus on somebody. Relationship will abound. Justice will prevail. And the church will be healed. You bet.